Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And we're the hosts of the Anxiety Chicks podcast, where we dive deep into the reality of anxiety, nutrition, and mental health. Listen as we explore all things anxiety healing while keeping it real, including our own struggles with mental health. We'll bring our expertise as healing professionals to the conversation while discussing the tools and strategies you need to heal the anxious mind. Listen to the Anxiety Chicks on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepanera. And I'm Taylor. And we're going to get into today's episode right away because I'm so excited to have our guest on today who we've had on before. If you are an OG to the Anxiety Chicks, I think it was like episode three or something. No way. Yes, it was. Um, But I'm so happy to welcome back Kimberly Quinlan. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be back. I don't even know if I let you go, Taylor, to say hi, I'm Taylor. Did I? No, yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, okay. okay. Was that your stomach that growled? <laughs> yes, it was. I'm sorry. Okay. I was like, I don't even think I let Taylor introduce herself. My bad. Okay. Sorry. I'm just so excited to have Kimberly on um, because your episode was so popular. Um, and if you haven't listened to it, like I said, go back and listen to um, episode, I think, three. Um, she is an anxiety specialist, but OCD expert on Instagram. Um, the Anxiety Toolkit is where you can find her. And we needed to have her back because I've had a lot of um, people ask me so many specific questions about OCD and that I, and I do serve people with OCD, um, more higher functioning. Um, and so when it gets to that, wait, that more, wait, in, wait. yeah, I don't want, I don't want people looking up the anxiety toolkit. It's your anxiety toolkit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, wait, that sounds too much like the anxiety healer. Hers is different. I, I, it like clicked in my head. I was like, I think hers is your anxiety toolkit. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> There's your probably anxiety the anxiety toolkit. toolkit and it's a totally different person. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a great start today, you guys. Welcome. Um, your, anxiety to- your anxiety toolkit. Okay. Kimberly Quinlan. So hi, welcome. How Thank are you? you for having me. I'm good to have. I'm so happy to be here again. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. And so, as I was saying, you know, there's a lot of people that have asked me questions about OCD, but um, more recently, um, we also did an episode about intrusive thoughts a couple months ago, maybe like even like last year at some point. Um, and just questions about if you can really overcome intrusive thoughts and mm-hmm. and does exposure to them really work and what that really looks like. And so I wanted to bring you on today just to kind of ask you a little bit more about the exposure piece of it and how that looks. And um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you can do to help with that and how it works. Sure. So... I think it's first important to understand the function of our brain. So 
When we have something that's scary, an intrusive thought being one of them, or it could even be like a, a sensation of anxiety, um, if our normal instinct is to avoid it, which is a very normal human response, right, is how can I get rid of this? How can I make it go away? When we do that behavior, yes, it helps for the short term in that it relieves you from that anxiety or thought, but it actually trains your brain to perceive it as a dangerous topic. And therefore, when your brain has it again, it's going to send out all this additional hormones of anxiety and stress hormones throughout your body. So when we avoid fear, we're actually training our brain to send out more stress with that that thing later on. And so using exposure, we're actually flipping that on its butt. And instead of avoiding, we're actually leaning in and training our brain and teaching our brain not to set off the alarm bells around that specific thing. So let's say you have a particular intrusive thought and it's kind of a yucky, icky thought and you've perceived it to be really bad and terrible. Maybe you even judge yourself for having it. The more you run away from that, the actual more you're probably going to have that thought. So what we can do is we can actually practice having that thought from a non-judgmental, compassionate place um, and turn that story on its head. Well, and this is such perfect timing because was it, what episode was it? Maybe two episodes ago, we actually were talking about the anxiety cycle Mm -hmm. and um, how, you know, stage two is the avoidance stage and Mm -hmm. how that is one of the most important stages to kind of work on with trying to change your behaviors. And um, because without working and challenging that avoidance piece, then the cycle just continues. Exactly. And that's kind of sounds like how, what you're saying. Yeah. So exposure can be, um, I mean, simply it's just facing your fears. So it can be just not avoiding. It could be as simple as not avoiding, or it could be as, you know, badass as seeking out your fear and trying to have it on purpose as much as you can, or even making it funny or creative and adding it into your life. And I can give examples of how different people have done that if, if that's helpful. Sure. I would love to hear that. Yeah. So let's sort of use the example of, um, we can give a couple of examples, but you know, a common one is um, the fear of vomit or a specific phobia, right? Is often what we do is we try to avoid that, avoid that. So one way would be like, okay, look at what you're avoiding. If you're avoiding going to the supermarket or avoiding going to your nephew's house, you would you know, work at not avoiding those things. That's our first level exposure when it comes to avoidance. But what you can do is a really great way, and it's a little more aggressive way, but a very effective way, is you could actually on purpose watch videos of people vomiting or go to the places you've perceived people may vomit, often ones like carnivals or theme parks where people will get nauseous because they're spinning upside down and so forth. So that's just an example of that. Another example is let's say that you – are afraid of panic, right? Because panic is often the fear of panic itself is you might 
um, look at your avoidances and go, okay, well, I've been avoiding taking the train. So I'm going to start taking the train. That's great. Another way of doing exposure would be actually inducing the sensations of panic. It's what we call interoceptive exposures, where we actually induce the sensations, whether it be shallow breath, tightness of chest, and so forth, or completely be out of breath. We might do it by running really fast and then practicing being in that experience in a non-judgmental, compassionate way. And that actually trains our brain not to set the alarm off next time we have that experience. So I just, I'm so curious about this because, um, you know, this is a huge piece of the work that I do. um, But, uh, but not, you know, I don't work with a client specifically like some other clinicians do. And I'm not sure if you do this like in real time, right? Like that's probably one of the most effective things is that you're with a professional as you're exposing them, right? Is that is that actually how, how it works? Yeah. Well, it can okay. work. I mean, I think the thing to remember here is we work at the pace of the client. So if a client is really there just to work at reducing their avoidances and get back to life, that's fine. Like I'm not here to tell any client what they should and shouldn't do and what degree they should work towards recovery. Um, most of the time when I see clients, they've their anxiety has taken a lot from them. It's taken their life. It's taken their relationships, taken their career. It stopped them from enjoying the weddings and the funerals and the bat mitzvahs and all the things. Um, And so by then they're usually like, no, I need to get this under control. This is stopping me from being with my children and so forth. And so in that case, yeah, we go to work. We, um, I assign homework for them to be doing exposures at home. We do it together. Let's say if someone has social anxiety, We right across the street from my office, there is a huge outdoor mall. We go across and we we call it gathering points, right? So you get points for each exposure and we usually will set a limit, like how many points do you want to get today? And they might say 10. Okay, we go and we give eye contact to 10 people if that's scary for them and they've avoided it. Or we... um, work at starting conversation with people if they've got social anxiety. You've got to get 10 points. Some people say, I want to get 50 points. It's up to them. Um, But I'm there usually to, number one, encourage them. I'm also there not next to them. I'm usually like away just observing and also to give them feedback. Like as you're doing this, I can see that you're really, your shoulders are all tense and you're, you know, white knuckling this. How might we make it so that you're training your brain that this isn't dangerous? and isn't a problem by relaxing your shoulders or speaking a little louder or, you know, pulling your shoulders back. It it depends on the case. But yeah, we're definitely doing it in real time. Gosh. So how do they, I guess I'm curious because I'm thinking of that person with the social anxiety. How, How do they eventually overcome some of these intrusive thoughts on their own if they are with a therapist, like there is exposure going on, like you're taking them to the mall or something. How does it, how to, how, or how can someone maybe, how do you do this with someone where it's not maybe in, can, like if you're not doing it with them, is that possible too? Well, the truth is I only see clients usually once or twice a week. The majority of their recovery is them out in real life practicing. And I tell them like once a week for one hour or 50 minutes, you're going to make some good progress, but real progress and fast progress. Again, the kind of treatment I provide is not long-term. I'm there to get them as 
better as I can, as fast as I can at a pace that's safe for them. And so I'll say to them, it's really up to you. If you really want to dig your heels in, you could be doing an hour, two hours, three hours a day. I usually recommend 45 minutes to 90 minutes a day for, um, you know, a uh, a recovery that's sort of in line with the practices that we do. And I usually see that growth happens the most and that habituation happens best at that rate. Um, usually that is enough to get them up and back in life, functioning again and enjoy and being able to, to manage those anxieties pretty quick. That's amazing. Yeah. Exposure therapy was really helpful for me. It's really scary though. Oh. <laughs> I always tell my patients, like, this is crap work. <laughs> like, yeah, not yeah. fun therapy. Like, you don't jump into the seat and be like, yay, I'm so happy to talk to you. Some people think of therapy as like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Not many people look forward to seeing me. I have to be honest. It's, but that's yeah. also coming from a place of we've established this is not cruel therapy either. It's not traumatic therapy. We're never doing anything they don't want to do. We're working at a pace where they're like, I want my life back. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. It's really not the most fun kind of therapy, but it's very effective. But, well, well, oh. No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, oh. The hardest part of I feel like exposure therapy is when you start to feel like an actual panic attack coming on. Do you make your clients not run away? Because I feel like the biggest thing for me was when I was having those panic attacks, I would leave all these places I was having panic attacks at. And so then they, it almost like tells your brain like, oh, the danger you perceived was real. Exactly. You, you know what I mean? And so what do you do to make someone understand that nothing bad is going on here? And we have to stay or we're validating those fears. Yeah. Well, number one, I do a lot of psychoeducation just like you did right then, right, is explain that so that they really understand that avoidance is, while it is a short-term relief, it's actually a long-term problem that's creating more problems for them. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that when they can really look at their life and see that avoidance or running away is actually the problem. It's not the anxiety. It's not them. They're not the problem. It's the running away from it, the resistance to it. That's the issue. Um, we do what we call gradual exposure too, right? So I'm not throwing someone in the deep end with no tools and no practice. Mm -hmm. Usually we try and work at the smaller baby or steps so that they can get a sense of mastery of like, okay, I, I handled like a six out of 10 anxiety. That was pretty good. And oh my gosh, I just handled a seven out of 10. Okay, let's try maybe an eight. So my hope is that we've done enough work to prep them and they have enough skills to be able to stay. I never quote unquote make them stay, um, mm -hmm. but I do encourage them to stay with me and I work through them. Once I've been there with them through a panic attack and we've worked through it, then they get to go and practice it on their own. Because I also don't want them to then start to think, oh, I can only have a panic attack if Kimberly's around, yeah. right? I want them to go and experience that on their own as well. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine having to go right away into, I mean, think of people that have specific real intense phobias, right? I mean, it has to be gradual. It can't just, uh, some people, you know, you don't want to throw them to the wolves, but um, I have heard of some people doing them, them doing that themselves yeah. like not, without even help. And, and sometimes it works for them, but 
the majority of people <clears throat> will it it will take hard work to really s- start becoming feeling comfortable with even thinking about that fear, you know, like thinking, even thinking about it, right, is what perpetuates it, right? Um, which actually brings me to my next question, because I'm curious how you help people with um, more like non-tangible phobias, like death anxiety or something, like someone who's really scared of death. Um, like, how would you treat something like that? She buries them six feet at the cemetery and they get to experience it. No, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe it's like bringing them to a graveyard. I mean, it could be. I don't know. I don't know. What, no, what do your instincts are, are not wrong. So again, it's a gradual process. So let's say someone has death anxiety. Again, we're going to do a lot of psychoeducation up front, right? Help them to manage being able to have a thought and identify that a thought is not a fact. And that's a huge piece of this work, right? Like when we have a thought, we often feel the associated anxiety, but it's important for us to recognize like thoughts aren't facts. They're just thoughts, right? They're, they're stories our brain comes up with. So sometimes that diffusion education can be so helpful. Um, the second piece is it is gradual, right? So, so for some patients, it might be the same, the word death, right? Often with intrusive thoughts, there, one thing to also let me explain is there are different types of, ex- of exposure. So exposure could be done doing the scary thing, facing it, you know, in real life. It could be doing what we call imaginals or scripting, which is where we just tell stories about it, right? Like we might write, I, you know, I may or may not die or just the word death on a piece of paper and just exposed in that degree. But again, we're not doing this to like put them through hell. We're doing it because we want them to see that this is, we kind of want to take the meaning and importance out of this thing because the truth is these words are around us all the time. You, you know, clients of mine will always laugh because they'll be like, I've done everything to avoid it, but yet I'm on the highway and I see a billboard with my worst fear up on, you know, about it. So it's going to find you anyway. So we might as well practice having that discomfort. You could do it through scripting or flooding. Flooding is saying the fear over and over and over. So let's say if my fear is like I – um, will make a mistake at work, I could say, I may or may not make a mistake. I may or may not make a mistake. I may or may not make a mistake. And I'm exposing myself to the concept and the thought, um, which often it's after a while, it starts to sound silly and you can kind of get some habituation from it. That sounds similar to like a desensitization type of thing. That flooding, yeah, yeah, where you, um, you know, you expose yourself so much that the fear of it kind of, um, you become desensitized to it. Um, and I found that that works, that's so helpful too with a lot of my clients, which which I, I love to do. Um, that's so interesting. I, I feel like even maybe someone listening to this podcast would be sort of helping them, would be exposing them. Would you say so? Like if someone's listening and they have certain fears that maybe even listening to this would be helpful? 100%. It's a huge piece of the work. Forgive me. Can you hear my gardener outside? (laughs) No. (laughs) Your gardener. I love it. It's okay. I live on such a busy street. My truck's going Um, by all the time. Yes, just listening to it. And again, this is where exposures can be 
so broad. Sometimes it, the exposure is just to read the news every day, right? So if some people have a fear of death, it might be um, reading the obituaries. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be reading a book called Men's Search for Meaning, which is about death and finding meaning in your life. It doesn't have to be all scary and all bad either. It could be really value-based things around, you know, clients will say, I, an example would be, you know, a client might say, I really need to get more exercise, but I'm so afraid of spiders, for example. And I, so I don't leave the house. It might be, okay, go for a walk just to get the exercise if that's important to you. And first, we might just look at an image of a spider first, you know, on Google or whatever. So again, exposure can be done using many senses. It could be interoceptive, in inducing the sensation. It could be a story. It could be writing. It could be going out. It could be YouTube is amazing for exposure. You can find anything on YouTube. If you're afraid of, um, you know, anything you could find a, a video on it on youtube is there less do you think that and this is just a curious question for me as clinician to clinician um do you feel that there are less cl less clinicians now doing sort of like in vivo treatment with the client directly because there's so many more there's so many things accessible because i i have so many clients that have that are very fearful in the car driving i think that's very common um i don't do that type of treatment where i'll go with them sort of like where you'll say the exposure type of thing so i refer them out to people that i know just like you in my area um but there really are not that many that do that still around me um and i know that used to be so common more like even when i was in grad school like 20 years ago where there was a lot of therapists doing that. And I was wondering if there's a connection there or I don't know. What do you think about that? That's interesting. I actually haven't had that experience, but not to say that your experience isn't right. I've actually found, I mean, I'm an educator as, as long as, as well as a therapist. So I'm actually seeing a lot of therapists raising their hands, wanting to take trainings from me or other people who are like, I feel like I'm not able to serve my clients fully, particularly if they're in a rural area and there's no one to refer out. They're wanting the education on how to do it. So it's a tool in their tool belt. Um, you know, here in California where I live, there are hundreds of exposure therapists. Like we thankfully have many options oh. for clinicians. I know in other states that is not the case. So I think it's very, you know, I'm from Australia, but I live in America. Australia hasn't got a lot of exposure therapists and we're actually trying to, you know, develop with the government a sort of a push to get that more trained and some, some payments there for them to get that training. So I think it very much depends on where you are. But I have seen a massive influx of clinicians who are like, I feel like I need this for, you know, you've built rapport with your clients. It's just that you need to do a little exposure and they want to be yeah. there to do that work. Totally. Well, if you know any in the Philadelphia area, can you send them my way? <laughs> Thank you. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I would love it. Um, yeah, I, I would really love that, honestly, because I, like I said, there are so many that I try and refer out to. Um, and I do find some, but I think like everything that's going on now with mental health, there's so many, it's a lot of waiting lists and just a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of that. So, um, gosh, so I'm actually curious. I want to ask Taylor really quick because 
I don't know if if you've talked about this before, like specifically on an episode, but does anything that Kimberly is saying about the exposure? Okay, you guys, is there anything better than sweater weather? It is sweater weather, you guys, and there's nothing more than I love than putting on a soft, cozy sweater, sitting in front of the TV, binge-watching my favorite show with some hot tea, a candle burning, maybe some fried food. But honestly, my favorite part is the sweater. Here's the thing. It can't be any sweater though, okay? It has to be soft. It has to be oversized. It has to be kind of like I'm wearing a blanket, which is why I'm obsessed with the new cashmere sweater I've been living in the past couple of weeks from Jenny Kane. I, it is honestly the most comfortable sweater cashmere that I have ever worn. And honestly, sometimes when I decide to go out and be social, I wear it as kind of like my sweater coat and I get so many compliments. It's honestly just the perfect fall sweater coat because I throw it over a cute lounge set, which is so chic, or I actually wear wear it with some jeans. I put a white t-shirt on, throw it over that. So cute. I mean, Jenny Kane really does cashmere better than anyone, and uh, their collection is designed so intentionally that you can style all the pieces together, and it just really focuses on comfort and quality. So when you style all the pieces together, it's really timeless, and you can create a full wardrobe that honestly never really goes out of style. And the other cool thing about Jenny Kane that I love is that they have a home collection, so they have furniture pieces, cozy throws perfect this decor that I love. I'm so bad at like interior design. And I literally look at this website and I just want to order everything from Jenny Kane's so I could just place it in my TV room. Oh, they also have candles. That smells so good. Also, they have an incredible rewards program when you can earn 10% back with every purchase and joining is free. I mean, come on. You cannot go wrong. And it's sweater weather. Sweather weather. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code anxietychicks at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code anxietychicks. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about your piece did you do a lot of that stuff like what did it look like for you i feel like that's the only way to get through panic disorder is exposure like i really i really feel like because you start to see everything uh, i started seeing everything like i said i went i became almost like agoraphobic because i would even PetSmart became a bad place to go like because i went there i had a panic attack i had the panic attack there and i left so then I was like, oh, we were in danger there. But in reality, there was no danger there. So it was like I started not being able to go to the grocery store, not being able to go to the mall, not being able to go to the – everywhere was bad in my head. And so you literally just have to go to those places and sit through the anxiety. If you have to go to the bathroom, look in the mirror and be like, you're here, you're safe, you're fine. And like I would do a lot of that, like running cold water through my hands. Like there were many times I wanted to leave a restaurant because I just felt like I was like disassociating and I was like, oh no, I'm going to have a panic attack. And I would like go to the restroom, look in the mirror and be like, you're fine, you're safe, you're just having anxiety. 
putting cold water on my hands and being like, we're going to sit through this because there is no danger here. We are safe. And like that was a huge healing piece because I read so much on exposure and how how helpful it is. And like same with fear of flying. Like the first time I went on a flight, you're going to feel a little anxious if you have that fear of flying. And then it's like, oh, you know, that wasn't that bad. And then the more you go on them, I feel like the less I feel anxious about it because I know what to expect. I know I've made it through before and I'll make it through again. But I was like really big. Like you talk about like <laughs> like easing into things. I was like really big on almost like I think self-torturing because I would like throw myself into like the worst case scenarios and be like, we are not allowed to leave. Yeah. And it was it was pretty torturous. Usually there was a panic attack. And I think that's something you should go into it and like kind of almost like I, there was also a time where I was like, we're, I'm going to have a panic attack if I go do that. And I feel like even just like challenging yourself, it's kind of like when you have hiccups and someone's like, you tell yourself, oh, hiccup, you're going to hiccup, hiccup. And then they stop because you're so like focused on, oh, we're going to have a panic attack. And then like a panic attack never happened Yeah, because you're almost like challenging it in a sense. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, you, you're actually describing beautifully some, the, some of the many important tools that we need to, in order to do exposure, right? So what you're, you're first coming to us with the first tool is know exactly what you're wanting to do and the goal, right? So you obviously inherently knew I, I have a goal and I need to get there and I'm willing to be uncomfortable to get there. So you you know the outcome that you're looking for and that's really important, right? If clients come to me and they're like, I don't know, I kind of don't know why I'm doing this and I don't really want to, my mom's making me be here. Like this is probably not going to go well yeah. because I'm going to be like muscling you through all this stuff you don't want to feel. The second right. piece, which you beautifully explained is you've it, there's a shift when it comes to this work, which is instead of being resistant to anxiety, we are willing to have it. We mm-hmm. are compassionately ready and willing to ride waves of discomfort. And that's what they are. They're temporary waves of discomfort. And you said willing quite a few times. And that's willingness is a key component. So often with clients, I will say to them before exposure, okay, before we do this, out of 10, 10 being the highest, how willing are you to be uncomfortable right now? And if they're mm-hmm. like four, I'm like, Mm-mm. like, let's, let's check in. Let's wait. Let, what do you need to get to a willingness of seven, eight, nine, and 10? Because that's where we're going to like, I always sort of like squeeze the juice out of it. Like we're going to get the most out of this if you're really, really yeah. willing, right? And then the last piece here is there, there's sort of this more of a bring it on mentality instead of like a, dear God, I hope I don't have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, no, I'm going to panic and I'm willing to stay there. Bring it. Let's have it so I can get it over with and I can get mm-hmm. on this airplane or whatever it is that you're doing. So these are just a couple of the important tools that you would need to have for this to not feel like you're being like beaten up and thrown on the ground and spat out. You, then you do need to really be prepared to have some discomfort and be very accepting of that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think it I think you have to kind of like, you know, go through your year of like fighting any help or I don't know, maybe you don't have to, but I think I went through so many days of living in hell, whether I was working on my anxiety or not working on my anxiety. I just got to a point where I remember I was like, cause mine's a lot 
or was a lot of health anxiety. And so for me, it was like, oh, I'm scared to even walk up the stairs because my heart rate gets up. I'm scared to even like stand up from sitting on the couch because then my heart jumps. And so I remember this first time where, because I had like completely stopped working out and I'm like very, I was very big into running always athletic my whole life. And I remember just being like, you know what? Screw this. And I went running and I remember while running or I was walking and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to run. And you know what? I've had my heart checked out. And I was like, okay, if my heart stops, then you know what? It's meant to be because mm-hmm. I have done all I can do. And so while running, I like, it felt uncomfortable. It felt scary. And I was like, this is a human thing to do. We are allowed and made and generated to run and I will be okay running just like everybody else around me can run. And I remember when I got through it, that the thing about exposure therapy that we haven't talked about today is how amazing and empowered you feel when you make it through. Yeah. That feeling is almost like it's like a drug. Like you can get addicted to that feeling of like, and it, and to other people, it's like, oh my god, you ran down the block. Like, what are you so excited <laughs> about? But it's like, <laughs> but it's like to me, that was like everything. Like the yeah. hold that anxiety can have on you of just stealing things, stealing all the joyful things in your life. And when you're able to just like break through those chains and be like, no, I'm stronger than you. It's the most. It's the highest high you'll ever get. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes so beautifully said. Thank you for saying all that. It's so true. Is again, we see avoidance as like our savior, like, oh, thank God. But the truth is avoidance disempowers us. It makes us feel weak and vulnerable and out of control more than anything else. When you do, I am, I probably said this in the last episode, but I have this sort of thing that I say all the time, which is it's a beautiful day to do hard things. And I think that we've been trained to, to believe that life should be easy. Like it should be easy to run down the street. But for people who have health anxiety that, or, uh, you know, a different anxiety, that's really, really, really hard. And so I think it's important that we, we recognize that by doing the hard thing, by facing the fear is actually where you get your life back. And you're right. You feel like the biggest badass once you've done it because yeah. you know, there's nothing more empowering. I totally agree. Do you see, I'm just curious, do you, do you see a lot of people that come in and they're just like, you're my last resort. What are you going to do to help me? (laughs) For sure. sure. All the time. Like I said, I have, I have no issue with people telling me like, you know, this is, this is it for me. And to be honest, the research shows that most people don't get this type of treatment until around seven years of suffering. They've gone through many, many years of talk therapy, not to put the therapy down, but it's they're they're trying to figure out the root cause and they're they're trying to like not that there's anything wrong with that except for specific anxiety that you're avoiding or specific disorders of anxiety um we can actually get them better really quick and a lot of people have come to this because they don't want to no one wants to do this work as taylor said the only reason people come to me is they've had enough of it they're sick of taking their life they're ready for change um so i fully validate people in them thinking this is a last resort (laughs) i totally get it yeah i mean i can't i can't imagine too you know it's so hard to when things get so intense you know and you just feel like nothing is working Mm -hmm. that you get so that can even be 
giving you anxiety, anxiety, you know what I mean? Like you, and hopefully some people are listening and learning so much from you and how you can help them. Because, um, I think there's so many people that don't even know that you're an option. Right. To Mm -hmm. help. Right. Right. So like that education piece, like you said, is so important. And I love that we're all able to have these platforms now where we can teach people that these options are available. And if you really feel like it's your life is just debilitating and I and people always ask me, you know, when do you think it's the right time to go to therapy? Like when when should people I'm like, well, first of all, everyone should go to therapy when they're (laughs) little. Like we're all we're all going to a medical doctor when we're, you know, two two months, two days, two minutes old, you know, Um, let's also go to a emotional doctor, right? Like a brain doctor. So, um, but (laughs) like, what what was I saying now? But yeah, I I think that being able to find the right support for you, they always ask me, you know, when should I do this? It's like, you know, there is no right or wrong time. But if you really feel like you have this intense fear or something is happening, you know, with anxiety or depression or anything with your mental health. And it is really debilitating. And every day you can't have retailer responsibilities. I mean, you can't sleep. You can't eat. I mean, those things are really debilitating. And I have found that, um, like you said, Taylor, you were kind of like, you know, at your wits end with some of the stuff yeah. and you almost became agoraphobic. And that's another thing. And I know we're sort of running out of time because we only have you for a little while, but I'm curious um, how often you see people that you work with become agoraphobic because yeah. I I have seen the connection and I've read about the connection between whether it's like OCD and agoraphobia or intense phobias and and not being able to really handle your daily functioning. Yeah, no, very, very commonly. So in our center, um, myself and my therapist tend to work with severe sufferers. Um, Not always. We have all the ranges of people. But yeah, often we will see people who got to agoraphobia. Usually the, the the coexisting disorder there is panic disorder, right? They're afraid of having a panic attack anywhere um, in their house, or maybe they're even confined to one room. But not just that, it could also be a part of their other disorder like OCD. If they've got contamination, OCD, they don't want to leave the house in fear of getting sick or COVID, you know, health anxiety. If I leave the house, maybe I won't be able to get to the hospital in time or, you know, they'll only leave a a certain radius around the hospital in fear that they wouldn't get there in time. So, no, that is actually very, very common for for multiple reasons. Um, Again, um, all treatable, as painful as it is, and it does take some time, but all treatable. It might be if you have agoraphobia, you take one step out the door and then that's your exposure for the day. Good job. I'm very impressed. Next diet day, two steps out the door, or you sit at the door and you wait there and just sit there as you experience like, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What trees do you see? And so forth, just to slowly get them habituated and moving in that direction. Also, this just came to my mind, this question. Have you seen an influx of the contamination or, you know, the health anxiety and exposures to that since COVID? Yes. So, um, 
The, the research is a little interesting, actually, is at the beginning of COVID, they did a research or midway through COVID, and they actually found that the people with OCD who are in treatment for OCD handled COVID better than the average human being because they'd already been trained in exposure and response prevention. So the wow. average actually showed that the OCD folks fared pretty well, right? Um, all the exposure folks fared pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. However, yes, there are a lot of people who sort of had it had a lot of that anxiety who then went on to have that anxiety because, you know, COVID was such a triggering time, very traumatic for some, particularly if you lost somebody. Um, and again, this is sort of where well, there's a, we have to make sure we're doing some assessment first. So if the patient um, starts to have a lot of contamination or avoidance because of COVID, we would do an assessment to see whether that was the, the onset of a panic disorder or an OCD. That may be the case. There are some folks who to develop those skills more from PTSD of losing someone from COVID and so forth. Um, we still do prolonged exposure for PTSD, but we do make sure there are other parts of the treatment. We don't just throw people into exposure right away just because they're avoiding. We want to do a thorough assessment and make sure we're clear on the diagnosis first before we do that work. <laughs> Yeah, there were so many um, clients that I, you know, started seeing once things started opening up again that um, hadn't really ever identified that they struggled with really intense anxiety Yes, and realized that there were so many factors that went into their fears at that point, but that them being home and them feeling safe in that home and not having to be social or go anywhere. And then once they were thrown into that again, it's almost like they forgot (laughs) how to, you know, to enjoy those things or what Mm -hmm. to do. They were so scared. And of course, a piece of that was the contamination piece and and health and stuff like that. But um, so complicated. Yeah. And I think that after COVID, uh, they, people did really start to see where their own stru- suffering and struggles were. Even we know now that people with BDD, which we use exposure for as well, body dysmorphic disorder, after COVID, it was really hard for them to get back out because they'd had all this That's time it. where they were able to hide their body from people. And now they were expected to go out. So they had to come in for some additional exposure work there or skin pickers and hair pullers. It was really hard because wearing masks for them was actually really relieving. They didn't, they could hide their skin and so forth. Um, but then when everyone took their masks off, they were struggling to take their mask off. So we did some exposure there as well. So it's not just confined to um, OCD and panic and, and health anxiety. It can be, like you said, phobias, body dysmorphic disorder, skin picking, hair pulling. Um, it can go out as wide as those as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. I mean, that that whole thing. I mean, I'm even kind of guilty of that, right? Like I've talked about my anxiety for years and years, but even learning more and more about it, um, you know, whether it's related to COVID or, or whatnot. I mean, I struggled a lot with, with that thing, mm-hmm. with that kind of concept with the masks and the germs and all of that. Um I'm a little bit better now. Also, I had COVID, I think like two or three times. Um, and 
it was almost like how Taylor was talking about, you know, after you do something and you you're you're like, oh my god, on this high. After I had COVID for the first time, it was pretty scary, and I I um, documented it on my on my page. And I live alone also, so that's a trigger for me because I don't really have um, anyone with me. But people would, I guess, be alone anyway in their bedrooms. But I was quarantining and it kind of got a little scary, you know, my favorite, all this stuff. But after I did and I was vaccinated, but I don't want to do this whole COVID thing, but I really did feel like, wow, I survived this. Okay. You know, I, and I'm feeling better. And I remember thinking, obviously, slowly, you want to get into your activities again and stuff like that. But it's like, okay, you know, I, I feel good. I survived it and I was talking about it and, you know, it really did feel good to just kind of get through it already. Yeah. And it's like now everyone, you know, a lot of people have had it and stuff like that. But um, I think what it, for me, because I have health anxiety, it wasn't just even COVID. I think whenever I have a little bit of a sickness and I get through it, I'm like, okay, I had a little stomach bug. And three days later, I'm like, who wants to hang out? You know, <laughs> Who wants to go out today? You know, I'm feeling so good after I get over or I have a flu and I'm like, okay, I got through that flu, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, we do feel our confidence builds when we do hard things. That is, we know that our self-esteem isn't because of, um, you know, getting lots of compliments. Most self-esteem and confidence is built from mastering very difficult things. So I think that that lines up for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh, go ahead. Exposure therapy is... I, I really think it's a huge component of healing. And if you are someone who struggles with a phobia or health anxiety or any type of anxiety disorder, I think you really have to get yourself into exposure therapy. And even if you just do it yourself and you watch YouTube videos, I mean, that's kind of what I did. But <laughs> I think working with a professional is probably the easier route. I didn't know that that existed back in the day, but it's awesome that there is that type of support now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, honestly, it's such an amazing, um, just the, the fact that, you know, we have treatment like this and that there are people that, you know, are able to do it's very, you know, very behavioral type of treatment, which I think can be so helpful. But, you know, if you're listening and you're interested, just remember it's gradual. No one's going to throw you to the wolves. You're going to find someone like Kimberly, okay, and they're going to slowly, you know, help you through whatever you feel like you're scared of. So don't think you're going in there the first time and, you know, they're going to be, you know, if you have driving anxiety, you're going to be like driving on a highway that day. Like that's not what's going to happen. So just I would say reach out. If you know someone in your area or if you don't, you can always DM me. I'll try and see if I can find someone. If you're listening and you're a, a exposure therapist or ERP therapist in the Philadelphia area, please contact me because I would love to connect with you. Um, and um, so thank you so much. Tell, tell everyone where they can find you. Sure. Thank you. Um, you can find me at your anxiety toolkit on Instagram. Um, I have a, an, if you don't have access to a therapist, I have an online education portal called CBT school, like cognitive behavioral therapy school. Um, and we have courses to help show you how to do that for different disorders, OCD, panic, 
you know, we even have one for depression. Um, so that's there as well. We have a podcast called Your Anxiety Toolkit Podcast. Um, it comes out every Friday. Um, or if you're in California and you're wanting, you can go to KimberlyQuinlan-LMFT.com and we're there with our private practice. We have nine therapists working in exposure and response prevention. That's amazing. Perfect. Thank you so much again. And it was so nice to see you again. You and too. go listen to her podcast, everyone. She, Your Anxiety Toolkit podcast. I remember so one of the first amazing podcasts I found on like mental health, even in general, back <laughs> in the day. So I and you've been so on the show. So and I have been, yeah. So go listen to me. Yeah. Um, yes, I loved it. So thank you so much again. And we'll have you on again at some point soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.